I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's show, I find out about the rise of collaborative farming. And whether you want to get into or out of farming, Paddy Kelly talks through the different opportunities available to you. Yeah, so I suppose uh, I'm involved in a project, Emma Louise, called Dairy Career Pathways. And I suppose the specific group of pe- people that I work with are those that are maybe from kind of non-traditional dairy backgrounds, maybe beef, sheep or tillage farms from small dairy farms, or maybe not from dairy farms at all. And those people are looking to get into collaborative farming arrangements on dairy farms because because they love dairy farming, because they see a good future in it. Uh, that hasn't really been possible in Ireland up to 2015 with milk quotas because they limited the amount of milk we could produce on every farm. Milk quotas have been removed for the last three years. We've seen a big increase in the uptake of collaborative farming around the country, the increase in partnership arrangements, share farming arrangements, leasing arrangements. Um, and I suppose like we've seen a service, that the Mockerland Mobility Service that's run by Austin Finn, We've seen them have, um, I think, put together uh, over 400 arrangements in the last four years, which spanned over 35,000 acres of land that has now changed use in some form or another. So it's it's a, it's a recent thing. It's a new thing. It's it's happening. It's working very well in places, and it's something I see a big future for in the dairy industry. And talk us through these people, non-farming backgrounds, and really attracted to dairying. You know, what what's attracting them? Yeah, I suppose... Uh, they're great people, Emily. They they simply love farming. Uh, so, you know, some of them are actually from non non farming backgrounds at all. Um, some of them are from small farms that maybe typically thought, you know, what there's no future in farming for me because my farm isn't big enough. But actually, there is. There's just a different pathway you have to take. Um, and I suppose what you know why they do it. Uh, number one is they love farming. You know, through some I suppose interaction they had maybe with a neighbor or something like that, they've they've got into it. Um, but I think it's really important to kind of highlight that you don't have to be to own a farm or be from a farm to be an excellent farmer. You know, being a good farmer is all about skills, and these are. Young people that come into the industry love it, have a passion for it, and because of that, they they apply themselves really hard to become excellent at what they do. Excellent at grass, excellent at cows, good people person, and they understand the the business aspect of farming as well. And when you have those skills together, there's a lot of opportunities for you in Ireland. Um, you know, we've had quota removal, and we you know you know we've had difficult years. This is a difficult year, but it's a one in maybe one in a lifetime drought that that we've had. You know, and like when you look at where milk price is, where you look at average dairy farm income being, you know. 86,000 last year there's a lot of money to be made dairy farming if you're really good at it and I suppose that's the potential that a lot of those people see and why they're interested in joining the industry and you mentioned your know, quotas have gone which creates an awful lot of opportunity what other opportunities are presenting themselves that these people are able to enter the industry yeah, I suppose it's funny when you look at the, the, the dynamic of the Irish economy over the last 10 years, probably if, if we went back 10 years ago, there was very few people actually choosing agriculture as a career because I suppose if we went back at that time, you know, number one, you know, the economy was booming, um, maybe slightly more than 10 years ago, the economy was booming. So maybe everyone thought, you know, jobs outside of agriculture are better. And at that stage, you know, there still hadn't been an announcement that milk quota was being removed. So there actually w- wasn't the opportunities there were today 10 years ago. I think an awful lot of people at that stage decided agriculture wasn't for them. Um, and, you know, we would have seen that because some of the ag colleges were nearly closed down because there was so little interest in farming. As a result of that, there's probably a couple of thousand people that should be now probably in their late 20s, early 30s that should be farming that are not. There's a big gap there and there's a lot of 
established farmers out there who actually don't have successors. And because of that, you know, if they want to continue farming in the future, they can't continue to do it themselves. They need to take some form of a step back so they can do it in collaboration with a younger person coming in. So it's fantastic for an older, maybe, person who doesn't have a successor to work with a person. It's not in their family. They would love to have a successor themselves. But the next best thing is to work with, you know, a good young person who's passionate about farming, who can do a really good job, who'll take really good care of the land. And there's a really attractive win-win in it for, for both people. And from your experience working with farmers, you know, the, say, essentially the younger person coming in and the older person who's taking the step back, what are the really important and essential traits that you need for a successful partnership? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. And probably the first one, um, you know, I suppose it, it can vary slightly with different arrangements because you, in, in a partnership, it's a much more kind of direct business relationship where you're sharing the profits versus a lease arrangement where the farm owner maybe gets a set fee for the land every year. So the dynamics are slightly different, but, but there are principles that apply to them all. And I think the most important one is probably the honesty and, te- and integrity of the person you're dealing with. So, you know, it's just you're establishing a business relationship with this person. There has to be 100% trust. And the stronger that relationship is and, you know, if you can really trust someone and know that, you know, this person is going to treat me right, I'm going to treat them right, and you're in a good relationship like that, that's probably the fundamental. You know, and we can, I suppose, get carried away with the size of farms or the potential profits you made or stuff like that. But if that trust, honesty, integrity is not there, then, you know, it's going to be really difficult for anything else to, to work on top of that. And probably the second thing I'd say is, with collaborative farming, and I'd make no apologies for saying this, you, you have to be brilliant at what you do. You know, there's, if you're going to get into an arrangement and decide to split profits with someone else or pay a lease for a farm, you have to be brilliant. You have to be really on top of your game in terms of your grassland management skills, your um, you know ma- management skills with cows, the genetics that you're using is really important. Um, and on top of that, and, and like, if you take it, I would consider, you know, established farmers, owner operators on land that they own, you know, they need to be really good at what they do in terms of the grass and cow stuff to make good money from farming. But if you want to do that on in a relationship with another person, you not only have to be excellent at the grass and cow stuff, but you need to be a really good people person. You need to be a very good communicator, be able to explain what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, bring bring someone on board with you. And you need to be brilliant at the business skills of farming as well. You need to be very good at doing your cash flow, at understanding what the potential return is, at maybe looking at a particular farm and thinking about what's the investment needed here to allow me to milk whatever number of cows, what the return will be. And like, so people often ask me the question, you know, what, what size of a farm is too small or how big is too small or whatever? And I always answer to that, and it's not a cop-out, but when you're at the level that you can tell me the answer to that question, your business skills are where they need to be. There's no point in me telling you 100 cows is too small. If you can't do a budget for 100 cows and think about what you'll pay in rent or how much of it you'll give to the farm owner and tell me that that works or that doesn't, then you're not ready for it, you know? So improving your business skills, you have to be brilliant to make it work. And and then to follow on, in terms of the actual arrangements, what are the really important parts of the arrangement? In terms of the, the detail of the structures themselves, um, well, like I suppose what's... What I suppose we would have been very interested in originally was the concept of share farming, uh, where one party would own the cows on the farm, another party would provide the land and the buildings, um, the party that provides the cows would, would probably provide most or all of the labour uh, as well. And I suppose we have an example of that in the country at the minute, the, a, a Chagas example down in Bandon, um, on the Gartine farm where John Sexton is farming in, in share farming arrangement with uh, Shinnok Estates. Um, so, you know, there's there's templates available, there's all the details available for that arrangement online. I suppose the basic principle is 
they run two separate businesses on one farm. They split the milk check 60-40 uh, and they split certain costs as regards producing milk on the farm, like feeding fertilizer 60-40. Um, so that's kind of the general principle. Then you have partnership arrangements, which you know are very similar to share farming arrangements, except they'd run uh, one, one, it's essentially one business, you know. So in share farming, it's two separate businesses on, on, on the one farm. In a partnership arrangement, we actually set up one business between us. We run the whole business through one bank account and we split the profits out of the, out of the business at the end of the year. Um, so partnerships are probably, they, they were operating in Ireland before milk quotas. They probably are more popular today than share farming. And then I suppose, you know, a, a huge one that that is out there at the moment that is maybe operating in conjunction with a share farming or partnership arrangement because it allows extra access to land is long-term leasing. So, you know, the government, in you know, bumped up all the incentives as regards the tax-free income that farmers could get for long-term leasing their land. Um, you know, a farmer could receive, for a 15-year lease, could receive up to €40,000 tax-free and 80000 if the farm is co-owned between him and his partner. Um, so I would say that has driven a huge amount of of land mobility in the country over the last few years either that farmers have like as i know with young farmers that have directly leased working dairy farms themselves and you know that's a really attractive opportunity because there's very little investment to be done some really excellent dairy farms out there that were looked after very well by um by the established farmers or also where these partnership or or share farming arrangements are set up there's often the opportunity to add in maybe 30 or 40 acres uh you know through maybe neighbouring farms or something like that. And I suppose it's important to qualify that like what I'm talking about here is it's on a national level. There's definitely, you know, areas where someone would say, oh, there's no opportunities in my parish or whatever. But to be honest, you know, if there's not opportunities in your parish, there, there's one very close, you know, because these arrangements are happening all around the country. They're happening in they're happening in Galway, Roscommon, Mayo, they're happening in Leinster, they're happening in Munster. They are happening everywhere. And while you might say, oh, there's no opportunities within, you know, in my area, there are in the wider area. Yeah, just to pick up on a few things um, you mentioned there, Paddy. Um, in terms of the Shinna farm, you mentioned it's a sixty forty split. Yeah. And what dictates that? Yeah. So again, it's kind of down to the um, to the negotiation that happens at the start of the arrangement, you know. And I'd say you could say a very simple template would be where one party provides all the stock and all the labour, uh, and the other party provides the land and all the buildings needed. Uh, it'll be somewhere close to a fifty fifty split usually. Um, and I suppose in, in the Shinnok situation or the Gertine situation, um, when they did the negotiation, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a smaller scale farm. It's about 110 cows and it's probably just on the cusp of, um, of there being enough in it for the two parties. And with, with the various negotiation, it was decided that 60-40 was a split that was, that was what the share farmer would need to make a return for him. But, the, you know, the, the owners were still happy that at 40% they were still getting a very good return for their land and their investment. Yeah, so typically you're talking 50-50 is... is Roughly, and it, but it will kind of come down to the negotiation of, well, this needs to be invested or that needs to be invested or, well, I'm bringing an exceptionally high EB, I heard a cows to this farm or different things, you know, but yeah. And then you mentioned, you know, there was share farming partnerships and now, you know, long-term leasing is coming on scheme as a collaborative arrangement. And you mentioned that, you know, you're coming onto a dairy farm where, you know, it's been run very well and there's mm. little investment. With the long-term leasing, there's a lot of that happening now. Mm. What sort of investment, if any, do do people have to make, say, per cow? Or are they typically turnkey opportunities? Yeah, so I think um, there's a variation. We have, you know, the, the Greenfield Farm in Kilkenny was set up in 2010 to show the cost of converting from a tillage farm to a dairy farm. Uh, and their total investment would have been around 4,000 euro per cow, including the cow, 
to set it up, you know. Whereas um, there are farms coming available today where literally working dairy farms where you might just have to invest the cost of a cow, 1,300 euro and maybe another 300, 300 or 400 euro per cow in investment to do it. Now, the interaction that happens is when you have a farm that you have to invest a lot of money in, obviously that money is going to depreciate and you should be reducing the lease to compensate for that and you should be trying to get as long a lease as possible so that you can get the long return. Um, and obviously where you walk across a farm that you'll be looking at that has very good facilities, you're going to be paying more for that land, you know, as a result. But, you know, it, it, it stacks up and I would say that the there's probably better profit to be made by accessing, paying a little bit more for a farm with better facilities um, or else trying to do a deal with a farm owner that's maybe, um, that maybe that justifies you putting in that investment and taking all that risk like the Greenfield Farm in Kilkenny have done. And I guess, you know, you often hear of, you know, things that might seem small, but soil fertility. Mm. And, you know, if soil fertility is at three and four indexes versus one and two, Mm. you know, it could be worth 100 euro an acre in terms of the potential to grow and and utilize grass. And so, you know, all these things must be considered. And when we consider then, you know, the contracts and communication within any of these arrangements, Mm. what's important I think there's kind of you could you could split it into three phases. There's kind of the putting it all together phase, which requires a huge amount of effort. To to be honest, you know, if you're going to put one of these arrangements together, there's an awful lot of due diligence needed around, you know, clarifying the the legal aspects that need to be sorted out, the financial aspects, uh, the communication aspects between you and your partner. So there's an awful lot to be to be done at the start that setting up phase, and you know, all of these arrangements involve legal contracts that kind of establish you know exactly who's to do what and what the legal position is and that's crucial um so you've the setting up phase then you've actually the operation phase and it's really important to discuss how the operation of it is going to work at the start what different people's roles and responsibilities are what the expectation is of you know when is maybe when are we going to make this investment or when are we going to do that roadway you know who's going to be milking the cows on a regular basis all those things need to be need to be clarified and then at the start as well you need to discuss how it's going to end you know and like there's these these collaborative arrangements um when they're set up well they work very well and you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with them coming to an end in time and, and most of them will and the i suppose the whole point of the thing is to set something up on a on between two parties that will work for them for the for the time that it's operating and if it does end then we have a, a process established how we're going to i suppose conclude it and say moving on then when when we look at collaborative farming and the type of arrangements you're talking about on, say, non-owned land, mm. that's a v- relatively new concept in Ireland. Mm. You know, where are we getting this idea from? Yeah, it, it is very new to Ireland. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people were probably very negative as regards the opportunities for collaborative farming in Ireland because they said, oh, you know, we're too traditional in Ireland, we're too attached to the land. But I think, you know, the experience of the Mocker Land Mobility Service um, would suggest that actually there's loads of really progressive farmers out there that are interested in this. But I suppose where a lot of it has come from is um, is New Zealand, which I suppose has a, a you know, a broadly similar system of production to ourselves, grass-based spring calving. And 33% of all the farms in New Zealand are operated via share farming arrangements and partnerships is, and also, are also very common out there. Um, and I suppose it, it is there is some great lessons for us to learn when we look at how it operates out there that maybe we can take from here and I suppose the three ways that I'd summarise the whole collaborative farming space in New Zealand is it's about skills it's about supports 
and it's about structures, right? So if I could just briefly explain the three of them, we were always obsessed with the structures, to be honest. Even as I came into this position from Chagas, we were obsessed with, well, what's the percentage? How do we decide what it is? What cost should we split? What should we not? Who pays for what? That's the structural stuff, and that is really important. But my learning, I suppose, from the last couple of years would be the skills piece is actually more important. So the skills that people have to use the structures, and I kind of mentioned them already in terms of the people skills, the grass and cow skills, the business skills to make it all happen. If you have those skills, you can make the structures work. And I suppose support is also a big thing then. So like a lot of these arrangements in New Zealand, they will have a consultant that will maybe come out once a month, just check in with the share farmer, say, how are things going? You know, maybe have a meeting with the farm owner and do a little bit of a discussion as regards, this is how the cows are performing. This is how we'd hoped. This is what grass is growing. You know, and I suppose in a, in a situation like we have today where there's drought and extra feed costs and stuff like that, you can see how that extra support service available would be really helpful. Um, and talk us through, how can we gain those skills? You know, say... Um, put yourself in the shoes of a young person um, who's looking to get into these arrangements mm. what can they do to put themselves in the best position to make a successful partner yeah I think the um, I suppose it, it all starts with your education you know it all starts like we've had people that have come from no farming backgrounds that are today operating collaborative farming arrangements so it is very learnable anyone could do it but it's about going through the right process to develop those skills as you said so probably the first step is 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 your education to like I think something like the farm managers course where you're getting the mix of you know practical farm experience which you need you know you, it, this is not all about theory it's fine to do a cash flow budget you know on excel but you need to be able to actually go out and do the work on a daily basis so you have to have everything so I think something like the farm managers course is a great course that allows you to develop you know those mix of skills but I think going on from there, right, because it's not just about education. And I would say that from what I see of the people that are operating these opportunities today, the probably the common theme, most common theme with them is they go and work for an excellent dairy farmer, a farmer that's going to, um, I suppose, invest their time in this young person and help them learn about uh, how they do stuff on their farm, help them explain, you know, this is how the, the, the cows are performing at the minute, this is what we want to change, they're explaining the breeding decisions, they're going through the grassland management, and then they're maybe sharing some of the financial information they have, and I suppose uh, ideally, if those farmers themselves are involved in some sort of, some sort of arrangement, then they've got first-hand experience to share. And I'd say that's probably the most common theme as regards the young people that I see that are being successful themselves. You know, I know, I know um, there's probably two or three established farmers that I know who could have three or four employees that have now moved on and are operating their own arrangements, you know. So I think go and try and find a brilliant person to work for that's going to invest time in you is probably one of the most important things you could do. And, and I suppose also remember that, you know, if, if collaborative farming is something you want to do in five years' time, you need to start thinking about that today. You need to be thinking, you need to be approaching, you know, uh, trying to find a job with a person that you know is going to invest in you. You need to be maybe, you know, starting to save straight away because, you're, you know, you're going to need finances along the way to make all this happen. Um, and also in terms of, I suppose, being conscious that, you know, reputation is probably one of the most important aspects of actually getting a, a, an arrangement. Um, and we're, you know, we're developing our reputation all the time in terms of, you know, the people we interact with either on work or through Mocker or whatever else. Um, and to be conscious that kind of you're, you are building that reputation you know, Ireland's a very small place and when you meet a farm owner, uh, chances are that two phone calls are going to know someone who knows you or vice versa and it's very easy to suss out reputation. So be very conscious about building that strong reputation that might help you to actually find an opportunity in time. And I guess I think it's really important what you said about you know, working with brilliant people mm. and essentially like, you know, you mentioned the farm management students, you know, there's a lot of farmers out there who are willing to improve you as well as improve their own farm. Mm. And um, like, you know, 
you often talk about mentors and mm. like they can be really, really important people yeah. that you'll fall back on in five years time for a bit of advice. Yeah. Mentors um, is a great word, actually, Emma Louise, you know, that uh, and I think like there, there is a lot of competition out there for labour at the minute. And there's probably a lot of opportunities for young people to look at and think, well, should I work here or there? But that criteria of someone that you could see being a mentor to you in time, someone that's going to invest in you, like, you know, there might be a couple of grand between a salary difference, but those skills can be worth thousands upon thousands in years to come if this is something you want to do, you know. So, yeah, someone that would be a mentor is a great criteria. And say finally then, Paddy, for you know somebody at the other end of their career maybe older or maybe just wants to take a step back mm. from the intensive day-to-day running of their own farm yeah you know what's your advice for them yeah what, what can they do to put themselves in a position yeah to be an I think it, it's, it's really important because for every uh young person that i've been involved with or know that has got into an arrangement there's been an established farmer at the other end who has been progressive enough to think well this is my situation what do i want for my farm and how can i achieve it and i suppose be open-minded enough to think that collaborative farming is an opportunity for them uh so i suppose what, what i would probably encourage is get in contact with someone like austin finn explain your situation um and you know have a discussion because you know there's no need for taboo around this anymore there's no need right it might be disappointing that you don't have someone in your family yourself to come and farm there's a brilliant future there for you in terms of working with these people you know there's it's where these arrangements work well i think it's it's fantastic because you as an established farmer get to see your farm being looked after and progressed and also get to i suppose feel responsible for helping someone else get into the industry you know and 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 also there's a great financial return to be had at the time be either partnerships or or share farming or or leasing you know and a chance to step back so uh, be open-minded I suppose is the main thing Louise talk to someone who's involved in it um, talk to Austin Finn and the Land Mobility Service and uh, yeah, be open-minded to the possibilities that's great it was really insightful Paddy thank you no worries Louise thank you that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Paddy Kelly for joining me on this week's show don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for Your Dairy Edge.